Did you know? That attacks committed by individuals espousing an incel ideology have resulted in the death of almost 50 people. That the incel community engages with other misogynist strands online in what is often called the manosphere that propagates extreme hatred towards women. That increasingly, academics and, to some extent, governments are treating incel attacks as terrorist offences. This is Tech Against Terrorism. I'm Jacob Bernstein. And I'm Anna Krane. In this episode, we discuss the global incel movement, the threat they pose, how they fit into the wider ecosystem of online misogyny and male supremacism, and how conceptualizing and defining incels affect counterterrorism policies as well as online regulation. Over the last 10 years, attacks claimed by individuals propagating an incel ideology have killed almost 50 people, with an average of 8 people per attack. One of the most notable attacks is the 2014 Isla Vista, California attack where self-proclaimed insult Elliot Roger killed six and injured 14 people, initially targeting a sorority house and going on a subsequent killing spree in the city. Prior to his attack, Roger released an autobiography in which he proclaimed his purpose, quote, to punish all females for depriving me of sex. Whilst this might seem absurd, this actually describes a core tenet of the insult ideology. Insults, an abbreviation of involuntary celibate, believe that they are entitled to sex and that, when women do not oblige, violence against them is justified. Incels call such violence, including fatal attacks, the beta uprising. This name is used because of incels' views on genetic determinism, where they consider attractive men to be alphas, whereas they themselves are betas. Incels say that attractive women, in incel jargon called stasis, prefer attractive men, and that a violent beta uprising, including acts of targeted violence against women, is the only way to overturn this hierarchy. Whilst the incel ideology often receives most attention after highly publicised deadly attacks, incels concentrate a majority of their activity online. Research has suggested that loneliness and isolation are what encourage many incels to find community online. These online communities often function as echo chambers that together constitute a varied ecosystem of online misogyny. In addition, there are a number of online forums where incels engage with other extreme misogynists, including so-called men's right activists and pickup artists. All of these branches propagate expressions of extreme misogyny, including encouraging attacks, both offline and online, targeting women. Given the violence that discussions on such forums risk inspiring, it does beg the questions to what extent tech companies should regulate these communities and where they should draw the line on misogynist hate speech. When discussing online misogyny related to offline violence, academics, tech companies and governments have historically labelled insult attacks in a variety of ways, often, as we will discuss in this podcast, perhaps incorrectly conflating it with far-right terrorism. This is despite the fact that insult attack locations often suggest the perpetrator's extreme hatred towards women by targeting places viewed as predominantly female. Indeed, notable insult attacks have targeted yoga studios and massage parlours, and the aforementioned Elliot Roger targeted a sorority house. Recently, however, a number of academics have started labelling some forms of insult violence terrorism, and earlier this year, Canada prosecuted self-proclaimed insult Alec Manassian, who in 2018 killed 10 people when he rammed a van into pedestrians in Toronto for terrorist offences, the first time an insult attack was considered terrorism by any government. This hints towards that the way in which we conceptualize and define insult violence and online misogyny is vital for counterterrorism measures, and arguably for supporting tech companies in tackling this threat as well. 
To help us understand the incel movement, we are joined by Dr. Debbie Ging and Alex DeBranco. Debbie is an associate professor at the School of Communications at Dublin City University, where she researches gender, sexuality, and digital media with a focus on digital hate, online anti-feminist men's rights politics, and incels. Alex is the co-founder and executive director of the Institute for Research on Male Supremacism. Her research is focused on the development of right-wing movements in the US, as well as the contemporary misogynist movements. Alex, Debbie, first of all, welcome and thank you for joining us. Um, Before we get started uh, talking about the details of the insel movement, uh, I'm just keen to make sure that we have a solid understanding of the terminology. So, Alex, uh, could you explain for those of us who don't know uh, what incels are and where this movement originates from? Sure. So, incel stands for involuntarily celibate. And the original incel community actually comes out of the 1990s and was founded by a um, woman in Toronto who was looking to bring together a community of people like herself um, who uh, did not have the romantic and sexual relationships that they wanted to. What we're dealing with now um, within the incel community is what I refer to uh, for distinction as misogynist incels. And misogynist incel ideology is um, more like something that has grown up over the last decade through the intersection with other um, male supremacist movements online, such as pickup artists. And this more recent iteration of the ideology has taken the original concept, which was supposed to be a supportive community that was open to all genders into these um, male only communities that blame women for their lack of sexual relationships, who feel that they are entitled, um, who dehumanize women, and who may even Um, consider violence an acceptable response to what they perceive as an injustice that they are being deprived of. I think it's a very comprehensive um, description of of what the movement is, although I suppose I have a a comment maybe about the the idea of it as as a movement at all in the first place, Um, and I wonder to what extent you can call it a movement or to what extent it's an online community. Um, and I guess partly that's a question of perspective in that if we're looking at it as, you know, a set of, of gender political ideologies, then we might see it as a movement. Whereas I think the incel community sees itself very much as a, uh, a, a community and will even sometimes push back against what they see as very narrow definitions, that it's all about sex. They sometimes counter that claim by saying that it's not uh, necessarily or exclusively about sex it's also about social acceptance about feeling wanted about having socio-cultural status all of these things which they claim have been taken from them by women by feminism by an increasingly politically correct multicultural society they emphasize quite often this sense of connectedness and community and support um, that their various online fora give them so yeah i mean just just in addition to that uh, i suppose we'll, we'll probably get into unpacking the 
ideas and ideologies in more detail as the, the discussion moves on, but, but, but kind of connected to that is their idea that inceldom is a condition rather than a subculture. So, you know, very often, obviously, we're looking at it as a, as a political a set of, of kind of ideological assemblages that are part of the manosphere, and it's partly subcultural, whereas they see it um, as a condition. They believe that they were born genetically inferior to alpha males or chads who are in scarce supply, and that, you know, this is genetically ordained and that there's nothing they can do um, about this position that they find themselves in in the sexual hierarchy and to kind of build on that so to both of you what are the core tenets of the incel ideology in your words alex can we start with you sure so again i want to distinguish incels from misogynist incels because there are still forums Um, that subscribe to the original incel ideology and there are forms that include women. And when we're talking about the risk of of violence and potentially terrorism, we're really not talking about those ideologies. Um, What we're talking about is misogynist incel ideology and the set of forums that have evolved around that. Um, They're very influenced by the manifesto of the 2014 Santa Barbara um, mass killer, and they reference him very frequently. His manifesto is is very um, developed in terms of this sense of entitlement, um, the dehumanization of women, those tenets of viewing women as potentially subhuman is something that has really accelerated in the misogynist incel community, they use a couple of different terms um, that refer to women as uh, female humanoid organisms um, and different abbreviations of that to indicate their view of women as subhuman. The misogynist incel forums uh, that are most prominent right now are male only. They believe as part of their biological essentialism that only men can be incels, that women cannot actually be incels, despite the fact that a woman originally coined the term and created the first community. And there's an ideology referred to as the black pill that has also gained popularity. And the red pill, I think, is, is a little bit better known. It's a reference to the matrix and taking the red pill reveals the truth about the world for various male supremacist communities that are active online, the red pill has become um, revealing the feminist conspiracy that they believe runs society. The black pill is an evolution in a somewhat different direction that is more um, nihilistic and fatalistic, um, based in this kind of biological essentialism that there's less that they can do Although there are a couple of different interpretations of the black pill ideology as to kind of whether it means that there's nothing to do at all and incel men should just give up, or if it means that the only response that is possible is something that would bring about systemic change, which most often is 
when they are discussing some kind of massive change that is through the lens of violence as a way of making the uh, people that they view as in control of what they would call a sexual marketplace. And they have a lot of terms such as sexual market value and lookism to refer to their uh, sense of hierarchy of looks to make those people um, pay attention to what they view as their plight and their injustice um, that they face. And Alex, you mentioned manifestos, and I think that's interesting given that we're seeing an increased use of manifestos by perpetrators across uh, different terrorist ideologies. So, But in the misogynist incel community, uh, for lack of a better word, what role do these manifestos play? Is it Does it go beyond simply outlining uh, motivations behind violent attacks, or do they play a different role as well? The 2014 manifesto is really the point where um, the misogynist incel movement is rooted in, and the reason that I would refer to that strain as a movement um, and not just a community, that the 2014 manifesto itself lays out a lot of concepts and it includes not only the perpetrator's own autobiography, which he works in there and the lens through what he sees this injustice deprivation, but particularly extreme um, imaginings of a future world in which uh, women could be put in concentration camps and only used for breeding, in addition to the more run-of-the-mill objectification and uh, sense of entitlement to women's bodies. And so the 2014 Manifesto and the perpetrator, Elliot Roger, have been referenced um, in almost all of the uh, incel ideology-connected acts of uh, mass violence that have occurred since then. Um, and it's, it's his act of violence and his manifesto that occurs at a time in which the incel community has not really formed a lot of its own spaces for this new misogynist strain, and they come together around his manifesto. And doing research related to the manifesto every year when we get to the anniversary of his attack, there are a stream of posts that come out on forums in which misogynist incels take part, including in the more general forums on 4chan and their own specific forums, in which they quote from his manifesto, they call him a saint, um, they refer to him as a hero, they encourage other people to go ER. And so he continues to be a very uh, important symbol for this movement and for other people within this movement who consider the possibility of violence as a response to what they see as injustice and as a part of this traditional kind of movement trajectory of turning um, a sense of people's individual grievances to a sense of broader injustice and giving them the um, explanation that justifies their taking action in response um, as something that is framed as 
you know, morally good or heroic in their own worldview? Um, I think it's probably worth adding the fact that very often, you know, at its core, the ideologies um, are quite paradoxical and contradictory very often. So they draw on kind of cherry-picked, half-baked um, versions of evolutionary biology and evolutionary psychology um, to explain the kind of hierarchy of the sexual marketplace, um, which explains that all women necessarily are, are, are hardwired to seek out alpha males. But I think it's 20%, uh, according to uh, their theories, uh, only 20% of the male population meet the alpha criteria. So women um, are forced, therefore, to rely on beta males for emotional and financial support um, as well. And so this schema of things where you have uh, alphas at the top, so they call uh, sexually attractive um, men who conform to kind of hegemonic masculinity and who are sexually successful chads, and then you have betas um, below that and at the very bottom of the heap you have incels they see this hierarchy as um, immutable but where the paradoxes come in is is where they posit the causes of this so on the one hand they'll say that this state of affairs is biologically ordained it's just part of natural sexual selection that women choose the mates and that they will always um, enact hypergamy and that they'll always want to uh, move up the ladder towards alpha males. But then on the other hand, they maintain that the current state of affairs is caused by feminism and by the sexual revolution. Um, and that, you know, the fact that women are sexually liberated and can choose with whom they have sex um, and also advances in consent, that this has given women too much choice, too much freedom about who they have sex with and that this is the cause of um, their disenfranchisement. So those are necessarily contradictory uh, positions and both of them are pulled out uh, in different kind of arguments in different contexts at different times. It's not the only um, paradox or contradiction but I think it's worth pointing out that there are a lot of contradictions in a lot of their theories and visions and manifestos. To kind of go back to what you said, Debbie, um, around the kind of the incels also directing violence at men called the chads, could you go into a bit more detail and elaborate on why incels also target men, as that might also seem a bit contradictory? Yeah, I mean, this is at the heart of a lot of the contradictions of, of kind of trying to theorize the different masculinities, not just within you know, the incel sphere, but within the manosphere more generally. Uh, it's kind of a double-edged sword. They they on the one hand, revere um, chads in that this is the thing that they would aspire to be if they could be, if they could be born again, they would be born uh, chads. So this is kind of almost worshipping of, of chad, this very, I suppose it's envious admiration that goes on in some uh, discussions. But then there's also hatred and jealousy um, and a desire for revenge because he is sexually successful and they're not. And again, because you know this is the, at, at the at the um, at the heart of the of the black pale is this kind of fatalistic nihilism. Is that you know they've given up. There's no point in trying to improve the body. There's no point in trying to 
aspire to be Chad. You know, Chad uh, is a, a genetic lottery winner and they're genetic lottery losers. So no matter what they do, they can't become six foot. I mean, height is a huge thing. They uh, they can't, without some kind of reconstructive surgery, achieve the kind of jawline that Chad has. They can't achieve the penis size that they imagine he has, etc. So again, this is seen as, as a kind of state of affairs that they can't uh, get outside of, get beyond or, or improve on. And so there's this kind of mixture of I suppose, of envy and jealousy and a desire for revenge because he's getting what they want, but also a kind of uh, an admiration because if they could choose to be somebody, it, it would be this mythical alpha male. Alex is the executive director at the Institute for Research on Male Supremacism, and she has researched how male supremacism should be seen as violent extremism. Therefore, Alex, could you explain how incels are related to male supremacism? Definitely. We study misogynist incels um, amongst a number of male supremacist ideologies that have become active online in recent years, uh, and they're they're very influenced, particularly by pickup artist ideology um, and its gender stereotyping of women. Um, but what we look at with these communities as a whole is that what uh, in the end kind of regardless of of some of their distinct individual ideologies they are looking to have a world that would reassert male dominance and male supremacy that has been lost to a certain extent and the earlier of these moves these movements or ideologies, the pickup artist industry and the men's rights movement really got underway in a pre-internet period as part of the backlash against real advances that feminism was making, even though we have not actually come to a place in which there is gender equality for women, although they would deny that. And so looking at misogynist incel ideology, I think sometimes people get caught up on the hierarchy amongst men that they have and the talk of alpha males and the self-deprecation towards themselves. And they view that as an indication that this is not a supremacist ideology. But what they are looking to reestablish is taking away women's ability to have their own choices over their own sexual partners. They like the concept of enforced monogamy um, that Jordan Peterson has talked about. They hearken back to an imagined ideal of a path in which women had to rely on men for. Um, financial support when women had fewer rights um, were more limited um, even sometimes in these male supremacist ideologies they suggest that women shouldn't have been given the vote and so 
the kind of male sexual entitlement and grievances that fuel the misogynist incel community are very consistent um, with the themes that we see across these different contemporary movements. And the 2014 manifesto refers to kind of popular kids who have what uh, he perceives as sexual access to women as animalistic, um, using this uh, form of dehumanization, seeing them as beasts, talking about them as animals that he's going to kill. And so misogynist incels also have a certain sense of their own superiority that, you know, in the theme of the kind of contradictoriness um, that Debbie has brought up with these movements, um, that they at once have these aspirations, this sense of biological essentialism, but they've also created a lexicon of terms to disparage the people who are trying um, in the regular world to disparage the people um, who they view as having sexual access and to envision themselves as superior in different kind of ways, including um, a strain of incels uh, that think that they have a lack of access um, to women's bodies because they're too intelligent um, has been one trend of it. And so there are different ways in which this self-deprecation can actually make it look like this is a different kind of ideology than it is and not one based on the same core concepts of resorting male dominance, male superiority, male control over women's bodies and choices that is at the essence of male supremacy. I think that's that's a really useful um, explanation. And I think at a, at a kind of more meta level, maybe there are a lot of very clear synergies between aspects of the manosphere um, and the alt-right. And at the core of that, I guess, is this idea that white masculinity is under threat from feminism and multiculturalism. And this idea is, is kind of central um, and it's used over and over again to engage support for the reassertion of a white um, ethno-patriarchy by the alt-right. So they have very mutually beneficial uh, visions and, and sets of interests at that kind of broader meta level. And of course, social media enable them to constantly cross-pollinate and to synergize in uh, in really complex ways. But both of them, you know, the, the various groups of the manosphere, not just incels and neo-fascists, are invested in this idea of the decline of civilization, this this narrative that civilization is in decline because of feminism, because of social justice warriors, because of trans rights, because of multiculturalism, etc. Um, and so the, there are the very similar kind of wounded masculinities enacted by incels and um, far-right masculinities in the face of what they perceive as these threats to that kind of stable um, white civilization. And I think that the kind of the, a fractured sense of masculinity and a fractured sense of homeland are kind of inextricably bound up. If we go back to, you know, theories of nation building and the way in which the, the narratives of the nation um, are so heavily gendered and so dependent also on very specific gender roles. So these things are, are very closely linked, this idea of masculinity under threat and this idea of, of the homeland and, and one's 
ethnic identity or national uh, identity under threat are, are they're not quite interchangeable but they're very very closely bound up i think although arguably within cells is a little more complex in that often they're less patriotic they're not invested in the same kind of hegemonic masculinity as as some other white supremacists might be um, and they also have different ethnicities within the um you know the the broader um sphere of of inceldom you they refer to rice cells and curry cells although those terms alone indicate um to me not only a kind of internalized racism but also that white incels are very much the norm and at the center um of this community but they do engage in very often very kind of racist um discussions about you know how this whole theory works in in different ethnic communities so they have a a black version of chad who's called tyrone for example and they use him in that very stereotypical way to to kind of other a a more threatening masculinity so there's a lot of racist narrative bound up in a lot of their um a lot of their discussions as well but it's complex it's it's complicated by the fact that they don't occupy this um position of supremacy or that they're not um, the embodiment of of hegemonic masculinity although i think alex has, has explained very well how they have their own kind of internal dynamics as well um which is almost like the logic of a cult uh, in that they have their own sense of superiority within their own inferiority complex so i guess one of the million dollar questions here is is this terrorism that we're talking about because recently we have seen increasingly academics i believe alex you yourself have sort of called this this out as as terrorism uh, we have seen the government of canada prosecute uh, an, an in, a self-proclaimed insult attacker as a terrorist in your opinion is is the insult community or movement or at least at the very least attacks carried out by self-proclaimed insults uh, a form of terrorism alex let's start with you so I think that among the acts of violence committed by people identified as or connected to incel ideology, that at least some of those attacks um, should be understood as misogynist terrorism. The 2014 mass killing that I, I keep referring back to because of its significance for the movement, you know, it's he has a manifesto, he has very clear ideological goals. He talks in the manifesto about the fact that unfortunately to him, he can't kill all women. And so he has selected based on research, not personal interaction, um, the sorority that he has designated um, within the UC Santa Barbara system as the one that is considered to have um, the hottest women and who symbolize for him the women uh, he refers repeatedly throughout the manifesto to this idealized sense of beautiful blonde women um, that he is uh, unable to access, um, that they are meant to symbolize all of the women who he has no access to that the attack is meant to strike fear into the hearts of all women by having chosen this symbolic target. 
I think that his intentions and stated goals in particular demonstrate um, in that case that this is this is intended as an act of terrorism. And some of the other acts, um, such as uh, the Toronto van attack in 2018, that again, referred back to the 2014 perpetrator um, that his police interviews indicate that he also had this sense of being a symbol for the movement. His post before the attack encouraged other uh, incels to rise up. And so I think that um, at least a subset of the attacks would be well understood through the framework of these as terrorist attacks. And Debbie, do you agree with that? Or do you see any any problems at all with sort of extending the terrorism label to misogynist insults as well? Uh, no, I do agree with it. And I think, you know, the, the, the move by academics, lawyers and governments to consider incel violence as terrorism is a welcome one. Um, if we look at a lot of their discussion, as Alex has pointed out, in the manifestos, it seems that there is a clear uh, motive there to cause terror in that kind of spectacular um, way. And even the fascination that uh, is evident on a lot of the um, message boards, for example, around the Christchurch massacre, where they were kind of reifying the killer as uh, a New Zealand chad and, you know, doing body counts and taking uh great pleasure in how many women were killed, etc., indicates that there's an awareness there of other acts of terrorism that are what Munn calls um, stochastic terrorism, which is kind of unpredictable uh, scattergun terrorism. It's, it's predictable in the sense that we know it will happen. You can statistically predict probably how many of these kinds of attacks there are going to be in the next year or two, but you can't predict at any kind of individual level where or when or how it's going to happen. So he calls this stochastic um, terrorism. And I think there, among uh, incel communities, there's a, a huge awareness of other acts like this. So they're watching kind of similar uh, alt-right or racist attacks with great uh, interest, which indicates to me, uh, again, a, a good reason to 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 view this violence as certainly motivated by a desire to cause terror um, in any case. But there are a lot of similarities as well in terms of the kind of dynamics. Um, you, you've got in-groups, you've got out-groups, the way in which um, that process of uh, normalization leads through to um, finally to kind of dehumanization of, of the enemy. Um, the in-group is, is seen as kind of enlightened or black-pilled but, and, and also morally superior, whereas the outside world is a conspiracy. All of these dynamics um, are very similar to a lot of other uh, terrorist organizations and the way in which they radicalize um, their members. So the out-group is framed as causing the in-group's victimization uh, and eventually the enemy becomes dehumanized. And in the case of incels, it's that women are, are seen then as, as not evolved and they're, they're kind of monstrous archetypes who, who are 
you know, hell-bent on making men's lives miserable, who uh, are only interested in sex, not love, and they're only interested in men to enhance their socio-cultural capital. And so the the in-group is also then, in the case of incels, um, very socially isolated. Uh, I think I mentioned before, it's it's not unlike the dynamics of a cult, whereby you know they have seen the light and everybody else at the outside is deluded and is kind of out to get them. And the way in which they use science or, or pseudoscience to frame their vision as, as naturally ordained, I think has a lot of similarities um, with with the kind of racist ideologies of the alt-right. So, you know, if the alpha-beta incel hierarchy can't be overcome because these structures are seen as immutable, then the only act that can, you know, break beyond this and affect change is an act of violence. Um, but I think another point that's worth considering and that's important when we, you know, ask the question, of, well, what is, is terrorism, is the fact that most of these killers have a history of intimate partner violence. And so they have been engaged in, in a, a form of domestic or everyday uh, gender-based terrorism. And that it's important to see a continuity between uh, those behaviours and then these uh, much more spectacular kind of public um, acts of violence, but that it's actually a continuum of uh, gender-based terrorism um, that's kind of going on at a lower level behind the scenes all the time. And for that reason, I think it's also important to see this um, as a form of terrorism, but in, in a broader sense and maybe to open up our understanding maybe of, of you know, how, what terrorism is and how it operates in a patriarchal society and how misogyny is, is a tool um, within that dynamic. You know, we've been talking a lot about attacks and perpetrators based in North America. However, the Swedish Defense Research Agency uh, published a report earlier this year suggesting that, yes, there is uh, this, this online community is predominantly based in, in North America and, and particularly in the US, but there is uh, some geographic dispersion. To what extent is this a threat uh, that's that's sort of that, that's international, or is it still mainly a problem in North America? Debbie, I'll let you go first. Uh, I think a lot of the ideas and a lot of the thinking uh, has originated in North America, but you can see it spreading. Um, and there, you know, there's incel communities in Ireland. There's a substantial incel community in Great Britain, uh, a pretty large one in Germany, from what I can gather. And so there's evidence that this thinking is spreading um, rapidly. And why wouldn't it? And there are no barriers, no boundaries, um, except for linguistic. But even still, um, you know, we're seeing examples of this in, in Asia, in India. And also, you know, this is part, I suppose, of, of the spread of the manosphere as well, where you have um, Indian men's rights activists, you know, taking uh, a lot of their cues from uh, organizations in the States, like A Voice for Men and and conversely, A Voice for Men and Paul Elam and a lot of these um, men's rights activists looking to India, you know, for kind of inspiration as well. So it's becoming it's becoming much more transnational. And I think it was easier a few years ago, you know, when you were talking about this at conferences, people would often 
almost dismiss it as, oh, well, look, this is just, you know, this is just an American phenomenon. It doesn't really affect us. Or, or how can you tell that it's, it's anything that Irish children or English children would be engaging with or young men or, or whatever? But it seems to me increasingly the case now that there is a significant transnational um, spread of these ideas. We can think about something like the attack in Norway in 2011, um, which mostly has been talked about in terms of the Islamophobia and xenophobia of the perpetrator, but the manifesto itself, um, which is very long, looks at feminism as what it sees as the primary driver behind multiculturalism and um, you know, Muslim immigration and other kinds of issues. And so as a really strong uh, anti-feminism and misogyny involved in the belief system and quotes a number of U.S. speakers in the course of that manifesto. And, and that 2011 attack was, of course, um, you know, very early. The men's rights movement has, you know, particularly moved transnationally um, amongst English as primary language countries, namely the United States, Canada, Australia, um, and the United Kingdom, and then also ended up having this close connection with Indian um, men's, or they sometimes call it family rights um, activists, who um, there are opposing, um, in particular, laws protecting women against um, dowry abuse and have had some legal successes in the courts. And then Scandinavia as well um, as an area where, where most people speak uh, English in the country um, is part of the sphere in which these ideologies tend to have influence to further this debate to like the online sphere, Debbie, um, could you tell us a bit more about how incels use the internet and what platforms they actually specifically like or they are manifested on? Well, this changes all the time because so often their, um, you know, their forums become banned. Um, but at the moment, I suppose one of the, the key forums and certainly one that I see uh, students of mine doing research on is uh, incels.co, which was formerly incels.me. Um, there are numerous subreddits that have been banned. Um, the incels subreddit, which was banned in 2017, uh, brain cells, um, which uh, Angus Lindsay used for his um, thesis, was banned in September 2019. You have Mail Forever Alone was banned, another subreddit, Mail Cells was banned. Um, but you still have uh, subreddits like Black Pill Science, you have Forever Alone, uh, True Rape Me, as far as I'm aware, they're still um, going. And then you also have quite a strong incel presence on 4chan, on boards such as uh, R9K, and um, a lot of as I understand it, a lot of incels have moved um, since some of these uh, Reddit bans onto uh, Vote, which is a, a kind of social media uh, platform, but also kind of news aggregating platform, not unlike Reddit, I guess. So that seems to be uh, a kind of new space for, um, for incel rhetoric and discourse. 
You mentioned some actions that tech companies like Reddit have taken on on insult forums and subreddits. Um, and we've also talked uh, about the terminology that, that these uh, communities use, which uh, potentially might make it difficult for those who are not aware of, of, of this terminology as being a potentially violent or at, at least a group that engages in hate speech. So in addition to that, what would you say are the main challenges for tech companies uh, in detecting these uh, misogynist insult movements online? Well, one of the things that we have been working on at the Institute for Research on Male Supremacism is a lexicon of terminology used not just by misogynist incels, but by male supremacist um, ideologies active online um, more broadly in order to uh, include some of the unique terminology that is often hateful or dehumanizing or encouraging of violence um, that come from their own unique set of terms and that might not therefore be recognized um, by a standard system. And so we hope in putting that out that that can be um, an additional resource that can be used. Um, that said, a lot of the issues for dealing with misogynist incels and misogyny on tech platforms more generally is less that it is challenging to identify which of these forms are misogynist and more a resistance on the part of tech companies to be willing to engage in deplatforming and to recognize um, these groups as misogynist and that that is problematic. And so Reddit's willingness to ban misogynist and racist groups is fairly recent. And they continue to allow um, groups like the Red Pill and Men Going Their Own Way to have their sub forums um, that plenty of researchers have pointed out the misogyny of them. They sometimes use a practice they refer to as quarantining the community, which um, mostly is an ineffective tactic. It hides the number of members that they have in the forum and puts up a little bit of a pop-up, um, but it, it really doesn't change um, the activity of the forum itself, although it makes it actually a little bit harder for researchers to gather the data from quarantine forums. Um, it's the only real impact that I've noticed with it. Um, and so, you know, Facebook as well, like we have a lot of awareness that tech companies have, have an unwillingness to deal with misogyny. And then the secondary issue is with something like misogynist incels that have gotten to the point where their glorification of violence is so clear that they do get kicked off of um, some of the mainstream forums, then set up their own forums um, on different servers. And while sometimes the hosts do decide to remove their access um, to that domain, as they have done with racist groups, it's more difficult um, to get that um, kind of response from the variety of different kind of domain hosts that they can go to. 
But when you at least move them off of some of the mainstream forums, they have less of an ability to just through um, the general interaction uh, on those forums, recruit people um, who are coming in from other forums and have that kind of overlap. Well, I would concur uh, with Alex that the reluctance and the slowness of the social media platforms to, you know, to act or to intervene is a, is a major problem. But in addition to that, I think the the whole issue of algorithmic radicalization is is a key one, um, and the way in which young people, young men in particular, become kind of sucked in uh, to these deeper rabbit holes through processes of um, algorithmic radicalization. So they may start off watching, you know, they may start off exchanging um, misogynistic memes or racist memes in the guise of humor. uh, But then, you know, suddenly they're getting suggestions to watch Jordan Peterson uh, YouTube videos before Peterson went off the scene. Uh, and, and then the suggestions, particularly on YouTube, I think this is the case that the suggestions become more intense and start pulling them into kind of more extreme um, spaces. And so that's something that I think has to be addressed um, by the uh, tech companies themselves. And then I guess related to that is, is a kind of a counter process of mainstreaming whereby we see a lot of the ideologies of the alt-right and the manosphere, you know, going in the other direction uh, and becoming mainstreamed through platforms like Urban Dictionary, for example. I've done um, quite an extensive piece of analysis on misogynistic content um, on Urban Dictionary. And although there's not a huge amount of, you know, incel-specific rhetoric there there's a huge amount of manosphere and alt-right rhetoric rhetoric and a lot of uh you know deeply misogynistic sexual violence uh uh, anti-feminism um etc so there's a lot of that a lot of that discourse of um of the alt-right there as well about social justice warriors and cultural marxism and that to me is a really uh key space in which these ideas are becoming mainstreamed to uh, uh, to a younger audience who'd be looking up Urban Dictionary for terms related to gender um, or sex as their kind of go-to space for, you know, for those terms. So I think those are the kind of, those are major issues when we look at, well, how do people get sucked into this in the first place? So I think those are things that need to be looked at as well. Um, combining our previous discussion on how we see in- uh, incels and gender-based extremism and terrorism, um, how do you think conceptual clarity might affect tech companies, their response to regulate these discussions and communities? I mean, I think that understanding the ideologies of these groups um, can be helpful, and especially when different groups use terminology that is unique or when they use frames of self-victimization Um, which occurs not only for misogynist incels, but also men's rights activists and men going their own way, that they recognize kind of the root behaviors behind that. And so I think that it is useful to have, you know, an understanding for platforms of um, what might be kind of the smoke screens that a community might use um, as to 
hide to a certain extent from the public their misogyny. Um, I also think, though, you know, on something that Debbie said earlier, that one of the problems that has actually occurred with an increased focus on misogynist incels since the attacks in North America in 2018 is that now there's a rush to only look at incels and to identify everything that's misogynist as incel. We saw this with the Hanau attack um, that occurred earlier this year, that media referred to him as a self-identified incel um, because he had misogyny and sexual entitlement and other aspects around his relationships with women in his manifesto, but he not in any way self-identify as an incel. And so um, what, what I think can be helpful as well to platforms is, is not just getting caught up with the trend of the moment, that there is a lot more willingness to um, remove uh, misogynist incel forums that, than there was previously, um, but they are not the only aspect of male supremacist ideology that poses a risk. We just recently had um, an attack by a men's rights lawyer who had also been engaged in men going their own way, which is a male separatist kind of ideology that's heavy on anti-feminist conspiracism, um, who had been active in some of their forums as well. The Hanau shooting very driven by misogyny, just not driven by any particular of the major um, ideological movements that are active today. And so conceptual clarity can certainly be helpful, but there also needs to be a broader um, intentionality on the part of tech platforms to be willing to understand male supremacy, white supremacy, anti-Semitism, um, and, and other such ideologies in all of their different contours and not just react to what um, happens to have made it more into mainstream popular consciousness at this point. I agree entirely that the broader picture of, of how all of these different groups and interests kind of coalesce is is really important there's so much nuance and there's so much um detail there um and of, of course it is important that tech companies act but i think what we have to remember as well is that what what we're looking at here you know if, if you do ban something and take something down i'm not saying that that shouldn't happen it absolutely should and it has to but it's not going to go away and we have to keep looking back to the causes um of all of this in terms of a, a broader kind of socio-economic uh, and cultural or through a broader socio-economic and cultural lens um in terms of the kind of perfect storm if you like of not just social media, but also the austerity politics of neoliberalism, neoliberalism the way in which um, this whole kind of injury of recession has been configured as caused by women and that male, men are, are the key victims of this instead of looking at the real cause, which is, of course, neoliberal capitalism. But also, you know, the kind of 20 years of post-feminism that we had and the way in which I think uh, a lot of what we're seeing on 
uh, on incel forums and a lot of uh, even alt-right reaction to this is a reaction to the kind of post-feminist hyperbole of, you know, equality has been achieved, girl power, women are in control, women can have whatever they want, uh, women who have it all. And there's been this kind of um, very powerful, very prevalent um, set of discourses and images in mainstream media for a very long time now of um of women who have it all of women who are sexually aggressive of women who are you know all of the stereotypes that came out of of post-feminism that are now mobilized by um the manosphere and the alt-right of women as gold diggers etc and so it's it's a very complex scenario the scenario which gives rise to these this sense of what michael kimmel calls aggrieved entitlement um, the sense of disenfranchisement, the sense of victimization. There are really complex causes for this that go beyond just the technological affordances of social media. The, the platforms facilitate this in very new ways, but the, um, the broader socioeconomic picture is complex and it's not something that we can kind of fix. There's no quick fix um, to this. This is a broader... Uh, problem to do with you know with what's happening in the world and the kind of polarization um, of of le- of the left against the alt right and uh, the culture wars. So we we can't just create quick fix solutions through tech, unfortunately, to these really complex problems. And to build on that, um, the very difficult questions, uh, but what are your recommendations for tech companies and maybe other entities as well? So, for example, governments or um, research uh, institutions to deal with these issues of uh, misogyny, of the incel movement, also the the bigger manosphere as a whole. What would you say that tech companies should focus on? If tech companies wanted to make an investment in really making change around these issues, they would set up their own relationships with the kind of groups um, that have expertise in understanding different group forms of supremacism and how to understand and counter it and also put financial investment um, into putting together those those projects and that research. And then more broadly um, than tech in particular and, and echoing um, what Debbie has said, um, these are broader kind of cultural issues that we deal with um, that come in through many levels. Misogynist incel ideology is a more extreme form of mainstream male sexual entitlement. And the responses we often see, especially from from media to misogynist incel ideology and a certain sense of sympathy and understanding, I think is indicative and part of this um, broader culture. We have a fellow at the Institute, Aaron Spompanato, who wrote about how the literary canon reinforces incel ideology, talking about a lot of the books that many of us um, were required to read in high school literature courses that really focus on a sense of male sexual entitlement um, that often involves sexual coercion or even assault of women 
um, in a way that is is often not very critical of that. And so there are um, a number of, of outlets, including through the educational system, that are opportunities um, for solutions, for um, including, you know, works that look more at the humanity of women um, and that are also spaces that continue to reinforce the system of male supremacy and all of the concepts associated with patriarchy and rape culture that we are aware of in a more mainstream kind of sense. Well, I think um, Alex hits the nail on the head, really, um, when she says that the more extreme manifestation of um, incel sexual disentitlement is just that. It's a more extreme version of a, a kind of mainstream male sexual entitlement that is part of patriarchal culture and has been, you know, forever. And we see this all over popular culture. Um, Alex mentioned literature, but you think every song in the 80s is about, you know, stalking and not being able to accept sexual rejection. So it, it's it, it's very easy then when this is so much part of the mainstream culture to tap into a more extreme scene within somebody who is going through uh, a difficult time in their adolescence or who's finding, you know, the whole kind of dating seem uh, difficult or you know maybe somebody who has social anxiety and finds it difficult to talk to people and meet people and so I think the most effective intervention is always going to be at the level of education it's always going to be at the level of a critical media literacy sex education you know progressive sex education that looks at young people as sexual digital citizens and is about enhancing their rights and, and dealing with issues of uh, sexual ethics and digital ethics. And unless we can intervene um, at that stage in young people's education, I think everything else is 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 going to be just a Band-Aid, a sticking plaster um, on, on the symptoms and never really address the causes in the current constellation I have, um, I don't have too much, I suppose, faith in uh, what tech companies can or are willing to do. Um, and I've even less faith, I suppose, in, in, in a lot of the you know, high budget stuff that's being funded, which is coding vast amounts of data or, or creating softwares that can locate misogynistic speech or locate uh, incidences of cyberbullying or locate racism and then just kind of censor it or get rid of it none of this is getting rid of the problem the problem is a social problem and of course i would say this as a media sociologist but the problem is is primarily social we have to tackle the causes as well as the symptoms i guess thank you very much that was dr debbie ging and alex debranco discussing the incel movement online misogyny and how we should conceptualize this movement to best advise tech companies content regulation and wider counter-terrorism policies we'll be back soon with another episode in the meantime find us on twitter at tech versus terrorism